Dan Urban here with Scott Fontana for another post-fight edition of the Couchside Judges. We had our second midweek event of the year as the UFC continues to pack events in during the pandemic. While most of the prelims at Fight Island didn't go beyond round two, the entire main card went the distance, including a clear victory by Calvin Cater over Dan Ige. We'll talk about that fight and its impact on the featherweight division, but Dan and I will definitely dive into two fights in particular. Tim Elliott's decision victory over Ryan Benoit in the flyweight co-headliner, and Kazimat Shimaev's dominant debut in a fight that netted him the unicorn of MMA scores, a 10-7 from one of the judges. Plus, we'll look ahead to Saturday's next card from Fight Island. But before we talk about those fights, let's get into the main event here, which didn't have too much of controversy in terms of the judging. Fight in general, did you enjoy it, Dan? Yeah, it was a good main event. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've kind of been spoiled so far this year with main events. We really have, and, and co-main events even. So this this isn't going to be any of those fights, but it was still a fun fight. Yeah, it's not in the fight of the year conversation, but um, I certainly met my expectations uh, as far as I figured these guys would probably put together a good, fun, interesting fight, mostly striking. I had a gut feeling that Cater might get a, a sub finish late in the fight, but it, I had no confidence in it or anything like that. I, I was pleased with the fight, yeah. Cater looked good, too. Yeah, he did look good. Ige didn't look too bad. No, he didn't. Uh, I think he lost steam because of the damage he was taking, especially having one of his eyes basically closed up. Oh, yeah, his eye was shut. Mm-hmm. But Cater in particular, I think he's one of those fighters who's actually going to do better now that he's going to start finding himself in more five-round fights. I think he's built for that. I think you give him a couple extra rounds to work with, he's going to show why he's better than the guy that he's going against more often than not. Yeah, you make a good point there. He could, because he really poured it on in four and five. But where does this leave Cater uh, in the featherweight title picture? What, what do you think? I would put him against, I mean, him versus Holloway would be fun. That's what I said. I put that same thing down, which obviously is not the next title shot, but I think that's a perfect matchup. That that That's a fun fight. I can see him fighting maybe the winner of Brian Ortega versus uh, Korean Zombie, if that fight ever um, actually comes to fruition. I mean, if, if that fight actually does happen, I would have to think the winner's going to fight Volkanovski. Well, what about Zabit and Yair fighting at the end of August? <sighs> yeah. I don't think you could put Yair in there if he wins, but, I mean, I would probably pick Zabit to win that anyway. I don't know. I guess I, there's not. we're not lacking for options at this division. No, this is this is a pretty deep division. But I, I really do like uh, Cater and Holloway. I, I think that it also fits the way the UFC typically seems to book their title fight losers. You know, Holloway coming off of a of a loss here it's it's a loss but it's also in a title fight typically you find that they'll put someone against a, a high profile victor so that would be someone like cater it makes sense to me what about Ige though does this set him back a ton i don't think so i think maybe give him someone like arnold allen arnold allen was a solid pick but i actually went with another guy coming off of a of a fun loss here shane burgos because that, that would be yeah, fun yeah that'd be a fun fight too and Burgos, you know, he's a different fighter than Cater, but he's kind of he's got a similar frame. You know, he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be interesting to see how Ige responds to a guy with a similar frame, but it's going to f- come at him in a different way. That would be fireworks for me. Come on, McMaynard. I know you're listening. Do this. <laughs> Let's move on to contested rounds. We've actually got quite a few rounds to get to. And one of them actually is in the Cater Ige fight. It's not one that at least I felt too strongly about it one way or the other, but even the judges were split here. And that was round three. For the record, it was two 49-46s and one 48-47 in favor of Cater in this fight. 
So the one round they did disagree on was this one. Dan Ige got a 10-9 from David Letheby, which you and I both agreed with, correct? On live watch, I agreed with that, yeah. Did you change your mind? I did. On the second watch, I thought Cater uh, did better. You have two right scores on this fight. I think 49-46 and 48-47 are right. Oh, on the whole fight. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I don't, I don't have too much of an issue with it, but we'll talk about it anyway. So you ended up flipping, though, uh, and your card ended up matching Ben Cartledge and Mark Collette in the end, correct? Yeah. Okay, okay. So, yeah, it, it was really close. I watched it again just as you did. I didn't change my mind or anything, but, uh, you know, both men scored well at times. I thought body work was strong. He opened a cut by Cater's right eye, too, so that, you know, that was another thing where he's leaving his mark as well. Why did you end up flipping? I really thought that this was the round that caused that eye to shut. I think so, too. I actually do. He landed this left uppercut that was right on that eye, and I'm like, oh, that had to be the strike that, you know, shut his eye. Ige was definitely playing with it right after. He, yeah. he was feeling his eye. He definitely must have felt it right then. So I, I felt he landed a, a bit better throughout the round. But, I mean, I can understand a score for Ige. I think... And I do think you're right. Again, I really do. I think you're, you're on the money as far as that this was when his eyes started being affected. It was He was not the same fighter from here on. His eyes started to show it too. But I look at that as almost like a hindsight kind of thing where if you were able to go back and look back, you would most definitely have to give this round to Cater because that's probably right. But we don't really know that in in you know in the moment. Now, you can't put yourself back in the moment once you've already seen it once even on rewatch but i i kind of look at it and i'm like it's tough for me to flip okay you know I, I i feel i should stand by my score uh but yeah i can't be mad either way well if i stood by i'd be happy with my score either way if i put either fighter on for this I, i'd be I'd, i'm fine with either one sure yeah i think this is a situation where even the, the judges disagreeing it's totally fine yeah this fight was this round was razor close and that was really all we kind of had as far as the main event but the co-main event as we mentioned before, this was a fight that we have to talk about. And the reason being, both Dan and I put together scores of 29-28 in favor of Benoit, whereas Elliot got 29-28 from all three judges. However, it wasn't just one round that was different between us and the actual judges. We disagreed on every single round, and we yeah. were floored <laughs> as how this could have happened. Yeah, I, I don't understand how that happened. I rewatched it again i got the same score i did too really strange on the rounds that they went that way i can see a 29 28 just not the route they took yeah i it really messed with my head that my scorecard was the polar opposite because i can't remember a time where i've ever done that where all three judges said one thing and i said something completely different because that just made me feel really dumb <laughs> and i'm like you dummy was it me was it me and you know obviously you had the same thing and then we had people posting their scores during the fight and and post fight and everything like that and a lot of the scores kind of matched ours so i didn't i felt a little better knowing that but it was interesting so but let's let's go through round by round here let's just talk about each round and try to put ourselves in the shoes of the three judges here i think that's only fair so round one this was to you and I, it was a Benoit round, but to all three judges, it was an Elliot round. And you did when you rewatched, did you see any reason why it should have been an Elliot round? Unless they were scoring strictly on volume, then I can see it for Elliot. Otherwise, I, I just don't. Benoit, every time he landed, he landed strong. He didn't land often. Uh, he didn't he didn't throw that many strikes or land that many strikes, but 
And it took him a while to start really throwing, too. Right. Like, probably, like, two minutes before he even even got into the swing of the fight. Yeah. But every time he landed, it was strong. And Elliot was just basically uh, a range finder every single strike yes. he was throwing. Everything was range controlling for a while. And, and a lot of it was a lot of missing. Like, he wasn't even just range finding and occasionally finding a home. It just was just keeping him at bay in, in a weird way. It was very strange. But that's, you know, Tim Elliott has a strange striking style. Yeah, I mean, he did land an elbow at the later later in the round, followed by a knee. Mm-hmm. That's probably the only impactful strike he landed in that round. Yeah, even the takedown that he had, I I don't think it should count for much. He only landed, I think, one ground strike at the end. Uh, yeah, it was it was exactly one ground strike per UFC stats. So, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't weigh that that takedown heavy at all. I mean, I guess I sort of get the argument for Elliot, but I really don't. You know, they're sitting cage side. The, the thing you always have to remember with this. They are there. We are not. They have different angles than we do. So it's entirely reasonable that you and I sitting at home are seeing things just completely different than they are. But having said that, I think everyone sitting at home, I think it's probably easy for us to say, yeah, this this is kind of a no brainer Benoit round. What about round two, Dan? This was another case where we had Benoit. You and I had him, but all three judges went Elliot here. Yeah, this is the round I can I can totally see a argument for Elliot. You thought this was the swing round when we were texting right after. For sure. I thought round two had to be the swing round, mainly because of the ground uh, the ground action we had. There was so much offense in this round. I think on the feed and on the ground, it was, it was a very diverse uh, array of offense in this round. So that, for me, that's why I can see this going a lot of ways. Yeah, so I thought ben, uh, Benoit landed the better strikes on the feet. But once it got yeah, that really ground, hard kick upstairs in the, he, like the first minute, right? He was very, very good on the feet. I thought this round. Yeah, I thought so, too. He's super sharp. He was feeling he was definitely in the flow. Oh, de- yeah, for sure. And then they get into the ground and Elliot locks in a guillotine and he gets mount, too. It was and a mounted guillotine. He's, yeah, he's, he rolls him to mount and he's mounted. Really strong attempt. He didn't have it that long, but it was it was definitely a good attempt. And then he, he lost it. It looked like he was just adjusting. That's what they were saying on the broadcast. And I agree. He had arm in. He was trying to get to no arm guillotine, but uh, he wasn't really able to hold it that long. But he was in mount for a little bit, and he didn't capitalize whatsoever. Yeah, Elliot didn't do all that much from that position. So he regains guard, and he's able to roll through for a knee bar. Deep knee bar. Like 90 seconds left. You see on Elliot's face just a, a total pain. He's, his face says it uh, all. A harsh grimace. Nice wincing going on for, right there. For like... Three to four seconds, I'd say. Yeah, it did not look fun at all. Now, mind you, you and I are seeing this from an overhead angle. Right. An overhead camera, which none of the judges, unless they were looking at monitors, were seeing this. Yeah, that's that was a reason I thought they didn't you know, weigh the knee bars heavily because they didn't see the reaction it was getting. It is possible. Uh, you know, we, we can only speculate, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But then, but then even after he loses it, you know, he, he's looking for, for some more leg locks here. And then Elliot lands a bunch of punches to the leg. It was kind of this weird. He's, yeah. These are some of the best punches Elliot landed at all in the fight, which is hilarious because they weren't like fight finishing. He was just like hitting his leg really hard. <laughs> I, I didn't even really grade those. I mean, no, I, I think you have to. I think you have to grade I, them. They were they were there. It's not. I don't think effective? it's fight changing. I don't think so. I don't think it's fight changing, but it was there. I, I can't really 
give that that much weight. Uh, fair enough, but uh, you know, it doesn't outweigh the strikes that Benoit was landing on his feet, and he no. ended up. They got back up, and and Benoit was landing even some more. But then Elliot takes it down, and he's fishing for leg locks. But it was—I don't think he that was, was a clear. weird. That I don't even know if that was a leg lock attempt. He, he, I mean, it looked like he was trying to. I don't think he ever really had it. I mean, nonetheless, I think Benoit landed the much better offense in this round. Elliot has a good argument for it. He had some good success. So this is a round that I'm totally not opposed to it going the other way. Yeah, it could have went. It could have totally went for Elliot. Mm-hmm. Round three, though, this is where you and I flipped, and then we finally started to see it as an Elliot round, and that was when all three of the judges also flipped, and they went for Benoit. <laughs> this one was a tougher tougher round to see for Benoit, mainly because he didn't really fight all that much in this round. You know, I don't know. I'm torn here because I'm actually closer to flipping to Benoit in this round than I was to flipping for Elliot in either of the other two rounds. I don't know. Early, Elliot was actually landing some good strikes, I thought. A little bit, but then he got rocked, dude. He did I get... Mean, it I, looked like he got rocked anyway. He, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes because that guy, he's just got this herky-jerky yeah, style. Yeah, he stumbled a bit, and I thought maybe that could have been the reason it turned, but I didn't see it being enough. He also had that um, that kind of weird standing choke attempt. I don't know how close that was, but I mean, it, it was something that Benoit had to account for. His fingers came out all jacked up after that. They did, but... I mean, you can't <laughs> score that as offense for Benoit. My I neck mean, was so just, strong it broke your fingers. goes down. <laughs> and the weird thing was, somehow, Benoit wasn't taking advantage of the guy who clearly was hampered. I mean, he's looking at him. He's looking at like at the ref like, can I go for him? It's like, just hit him. The ref was, he seemed confused too. He didn't know if he should stop it or, or what. It was very strange. You know, I thought Benoit actually was landing pretty well near the end of the fight. I didn't think it was that crazy to go for Benoit here. So as far as the judges saying 10-9 Benoit here, I'm okay with it. But at the end of the day, I see a lot more ways that this fight really should have gone for Benoit than I do for Elliot. And it's unfortunate because Elliot got the win here. I'm really just baffled again about that why my score was just so wildly different from Ben Cartledge, David Leatherby, and, and Clemens Werner. I'm not saying they're wrong. I don't want to say they're wrong because... They were in unison, and they're the ones who were hired to do this. So you have to give them some credit there. But I just wish I understood why we disagreed so wildly. Yeah, I don't know. That so I would always love to be a part of uh, some kind of explanation. I, I know they don't owe it to anybody, but I'm just interested in it. I'd like to hear it. But, you know, let's move on because I actually want to talk about a very exciting development that we had here. And that was the 10-7 round that I referred to earlier. Ooh, 10-7, baby. Gets me I, excited. I couldn't believe it because I was I was having a conversation with Rob Tatum on, on Twitter about whether this was a 10-7 or not. Rob was like, yeah, 10-7. And I said, I don't really think they would do that. You know, there weren't diminishing blows and all that. And sure enough, we come out of this after Chimaev gets the big finish in round two. And he's got one 10-7 score from Mark Collette. Now, the other two judges, Lucas Bosaki and David Leatherby, they went 10-8 Chimaev, which is what you and I did. Yeah, I, I'm standing by my 10-8, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm so happy we finally saw a 10-7. Uh, that guy wants to put a 10-7 down. I'm all for it. It was a it was a one-sided beatdown, bell to bell. I mean, you can't really for sure argue my... anything else. You know, he he uh, Chimaya throws a, a leg kick to try and get a punch in return and immediately goes for a takedown, gets it, and he proceeds to beat on him for another five minutes. It's like four minutes, 55 seconds or so. 
Yeah, you know what? I I didn't think the fight was ever in danger of being stopped. Same. You, you know, you're looking for multiple diminishing blows and that kind of thing. That's what I thought was missing here. But I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It was a it was a pillar to post beatdown. So we now have on the record a recent 10-7 round from an actual official judge. So this starts to inform the definition for people. You know, people will refer to this round now and say, and obviously it was a minority score, but they could say, hey, look at this. This we actually got a 10-7 here. Is this something we need to hold up as something that means it's a 10-7? I don't know. I would be happy if they said, you know what? Rounds like this are 10-7. I would too. I, I would too. And that's why I'm actually kind of excited about this, even though I, I kind of still disagree with it. But if if it's something that's condoned, I would feel much better giving it out as a, as a score and not feeling like, no, you're not supposed to. Well, you only disagree with it because it's we're using the ABC criteria. Oh, yes, most definitely. If we're using CSJ criteria, this is a 10-7, 10 out of 10 times. What we use for our past judgment segments are our specialized criteria where we shift the definition of 10 eighths over to 10 sevens. Then it's obviously a no brainer. It doesn't even matter. I mean, this that's why I think we should be lumping 10 eight and 10 seven into one thing, because you give out 10 sevens once every several years or so. They don't need to be all that different as far as I'm concerned. Just put them in one category. But, you know, I, I should point out there. This is not the first 10 seven that I'm aware of since the criteria was clarified in 2016. I was told by another veteran judge that round four of Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega, Sal Diamato assessed a 10-7. Oh. I don't think most people are aware of that because there's no, you'll never find a round-by-round round breakdown of that. But this is what I was told, that there that round was actually a 10-7 on Damato's card. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I have to rewatch that fight now. Yeah, I think so. But these are these are the two rounds that we're talking about here. If you want to if you want to look at what actual working and respected judges such as D'Amato and Colette call 10 sevens, it's these two rounds. That's what we're talking about. So at least this round kind of helps me shape how I perceive a 10 seven going forward. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm definitely going to refer to this. Yeah, why not? I can I can at least say, OK, you know, it, it kind of seem, seems to meet that standard. And that's why, you know, looking back at Another fight we had during this pandemic, the Glover Teixeira against Anthony Lionheart Smith, I believe it was round three. That was a 10-7 to me. I feel okay with that. That should be a 10-7. I, yeah, I thought I actually think that was more of a 10-7 than this. Oh, me too. <laughs> I've also been told by uh, by one judge that uh, the way the way they kind of look at 10-7s is if I'm cringing, that's a 10-7. <laughs> and I was definitely cringing during Teixeira. I was not cringing during this. Chimaev's round, it was dominant, but it was more. I was more admiring how dominant he was. There was no cringeworthiness to it. So by that standard, no, I don't think it is. But hey, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Let's shift the definition as far as I'm concerned. For sure. One other fight I want to get to before we kind of go into a couple quick rounds is in the, oh, goodness. Here's our alphabet soup here. Modestus Bukowskis getting the TKO after round one against Andreas Mikolidis. How'd I do? Did I do okay? I think you got it. You nailed it pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. I do my best. Uh, so in this fight, the judges disagreed here, and, and usually we wouldn't just spend a whole lot of time about a fight like this where they disagreed in one round that of a round, one-round fight. But it was a strange one in that we had two judges siding with Bukowskis 10-9. That was Colette and Lethaby. And we had one judge... Vito Palillo 
sided with Mikolitis. But only a few seconds after all these guys scored the fight and per- turned their round scores in, the fight is waved off because Mikolitis can't get up. He kind of falls into the uh, the open door of the cage right there. So that was kind of was it was a funny little little thing where you can actually win the round and then immediately lose the fight. For sure. That was pretty crazy to see, but I actually agree with the referee uh, decision to stop it there. The one time I re- agreed with him. But how did you see this round? I scored it for Michaelitis. You did. Yeah. The loser. You know what? It was. Explain yourself, sir. I will explain myself. I thought he <laughs> landed throughout the round and I thought they were strongest. I really didn't think those elbows were that strong. And in hindsight, obviously they were very strong. I didn't see the aftermath of what happened when I was doing my score. Well, the aftermath had nothing to do with it. Once the horn sounded, it's over. The horn sounded. They went to commercial. I was already ready to write my score in. And I come back. Now I see that he's holding his head. And they replay exactly what happened after. And I was like, oh, I guess those were pretty strong elbows. Yeah. How do you think uh, Vito Palillo feels? He, He actually turned in a card. And that happened. So he's he's uh, in the same boat as you, except he was on record. I think he can defend it. I, I do. I, you know what? I'm giving you a hard time. I think he can, too. He did actually outland on the numbers 23 to 18 for what it's worth. I mean, I, I just disagreed. I, I actually and I actually thought that Bukowskis won the round even before those elbows. I thought his strikes were actually more impactful, particularly his kicks. I think he was landing some really good kicks. I mean, Mikolitis was too. I, I thought the kicks were kind of even more, but I, I leaned in Mikolitis. I thought the calf kicks did more damage. I didn't really okay. see I didn't really see the leg being the reason he was slowing down. I thought that was more of a gas tank issue. I mean, you know, it's hard to say. But And I, body kicks. He had great body kicks. Yeah, no, that's true. I, it was a close round. I, that's why I'm not really even piling on you or, or Palillo here. I think Palillo can actually justify this score. And I think you can too. But for me personally, I really did see it as Bukowski's round even before those elbows. And then he landed those elbows. And I I looked at those elbows really well. I thought they were hard. <laughs> sure looked you know, hard to it, me. It, when he, he, get, he gets hit with the first one and he, he kind of drops to his knees. I didn't think he dropped to his knees because of the impact. I thought he was just trying to get lower into uh, the takedown. No, I, that, looked, that looked like a result so. of, of the actions to me. Hey, you know, you saw it differently than I did. That's okay. Um, I you know, and I'm trying to put myself in Palillo's shoes too, because he doesn't—he's not looking at the TV like you and I. From what I could tell, it looked like he was directly across the cage, so he was about as far away as he could be. Mm-hmm. Maybe being far enough away, he can't hear the impact of those elbows as well. Yeah, because I think the other two judges probably were in more advantageous position to be able to hear them and know. Oh, man, these are these are landing hard to the skull. <laughs> uh, who knows? I'm speculating. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't speak for Pelelo here, but you know, let's be honest. The, the score really only mattered for about five seconds uh, once they were turned in, and then then the fight was stopped right after. So, kind of irrelevant, but just an interesting kind of idiosyncrasy of of the way the the fight developed there and the fight ended. Yeah, that was a strange one for sure. Let's move on to lightning rounds. Uh, you know, we we don't need to go too deep into the remainders here, uh, but real quick, Munir Lazez getting the unanimous decision over Abdul Razak Al-Hazan. Round one was the split round here. I had it for Lazez. You had it for Lazez, right? Yeah, I thought this was almost crystal clear Lazez round. I uh, I would say it's not totally crystal clear. I can understand why Palillo went for Al-Hazan here because Al-Hazan was really, really good in those first two minutes or so. He was pounding away at Lazez, had him in, looked like a little bit of trouble at least. 
I thought he so, covered up pretty well. The punches were most of them weren't landing that cleanly. Uh, and uh, I, while it was a good burst, I, I just didn't. I thought that was all he had. And Lizette yeah, I mean, if, just if you took it from there. Hey, Hey, I ended up going with Lizez, so you know you're talking to somebody who sided that way. But I actually really, I see, I see a decent argument for Al Hassan before he cooled down here. You know, we sided with Cartledge and Clemens Werner here. I feel good about it, but I, I don't feel that bad if it went the other way. Didn't end up mattering, and Lizez looks like a really good prospect. I like him. Yeah, he was smiling at him. He was eating these shots. He said, "Hey, you, know, you threw everything you had at me. It didn't phase me one bit." Good and thing I, that kid came up to uh, Dana at the birthday party or whatever the heck it was. They yeah. kept talking about the broadcast. Oh, yeah. His, oh. his scouts are at birthday parties, kids' birthday parties. <laughs> what what about uh, what about Jimmy Rivera? He got the decision over Cody Stamen. Unanimous call. Won almost every round unanimously except round two where they were split. Mark Collette had 10-9 for Stamen. Did you see a Stamen argument? No, I thought this was uh, Jimmy Rivera all the way. Fought a great fight for on such short notice. Did what he had to do. And took the W. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty clear round for Rivera too, because when he's landing, he's landing much harder. the The numbers, at least in this round, were kind of closer. And Stamen did land. The takedown he landed was actually pretty high amplitude. It wasn't just one of those kind of uh, you know, little trips. But mm-hmm. I still didn't think he did enough to take this round. But I, you know, it's not egregious for me if it went the other way. Then I can understand why Mark Collette might have his reasons here. But I, I ended up siding with Anders Olsen. And Vida Palillo once again. This this time we were on the same side. What about the ten eight watch, Dan? Was there any ten eight round in this uh, in this event that maybe we kind of thought about? Hey, should we have gone ten eight? Should we not have? None that I oh I actually did. I scored a ten eight in uh, Jack Shore's fight, the opening bout. Oh okay. See, I disagreed. I I thought I thought that was fine as a ten nine. Yeah, I don't mind it being a ten nine. I just thought it was it was enough damage. I thought those knees really put it there. Okay. To give him the, yeah, it didn't, uh, the, it didn't end up mattering D's. anyway because of uh because of the second round sub. Yep. And then in round two of Tyla Santos, her victory, which she got by unanimous decision over Molly McCann, one judge did give a 10-8, and that was Lucas Bosaki. Did you see a 10-8? I don't mind a 10-8 there. I didn't see a 10-8. I scored it 10-9. She had a really good fight, Santos. Oh, Santos looked great. I didn't think it was a 10-8 round here. I thought about it, but I didn't go there. Uh, I sided with David Leatherby and, and Anders Olsen here as well. Yeah, 10-8's fine, though. I, I really don't mind that one in this fight. Now, the one fight everyone agreed with, I think you and I also agreed here that this was 30-26, so he got a 10-8 in the third round. Jared Gordon getting the victory over Chris Fishgold. Yeah, that was a, a textbook 10-8. No one disputes any round in that fight, so unanimous fight there. My favorite finish. We had some good finishes, especially on the all on the prelims. Leanna Jojua over Diana Belbita with a brutal arm bar with a cry out tap. Oh, yeah, that was brutal. You you just you knew that one. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if, if the women's flexibility is her is a strength or a uh, or something that just they can rely on too much because that, that arm it, bar looks scary. It's hard to say. I've never been a woman. So for yeah. me, it's hard to to know <laughs> how flexible they really are and how much we're just making it up as dudes. I would love to have a woman explain to me how flexible they are or not when it comes to arm bars so that I know it's not a myth. Maybe they're just tougher than us because they might just be. It's so <laughs> often that their arm is just super hyperextended and they're just sitting in there like, yeah, I got to get out of this at some point. My wife gave birth to two children. <laughs> I'm never going to do that. And she's a lot tougher than me. Shout yeah. out to you, Caitlin. Love you. <laughs> but what about but you? But for me, 
for me, the favorite finish was was Chemayev, you know, and not necessarily just because of the Darce choke, but it was really just that it capped an amazing debut from it, and probably the one of the most awesome debuts I can think of from any prospect that I've ever seen. Yeah, you I know, don't... we were hearing we were hearing pre-fight, right? Oh yeah, it's Khabib 2.0. This guy's like Khabib, and it's like, oh okay, yeah. yeah. They should probably say that about everybody who comes out of that region of the world. And then we watched him go to work for six minutes, and we're like, yeah, okay, he's he's Khabib. Yeah, kind of just Khabib. Yeah, uh, except Khabib. bigger and 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 uh, a lot more um, longer. He he looked like he was a lot spindlier than Khabib. Yeah, maybe a scarier Khabib. <laughs> oh God, maybe. Uh, maybe GSP-esque. GSP debut-esque from him. <laughs> you might be right. I, I do think we're watching a future champ here. I really do. Um, This is probably too much hyperbole, but... And, and he was fighting at middleweight here. He's probably going to be a welterweight going forward. Oh, that it's, really? He's typically, yes, he's a natural welterweight. He was talking about fighting Mike Perry. I think he just wants to beat up Mike Perry. My understanding is, from what I've heard, he is a natural welterweight. Oh, that's even scarier. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about it. Because now I just want to see him versus Usman right now. I know, right? <laughs> I said the same thing about Adesanya during the during the fights, and then I realized that, yeah, okay, he's supposed to be fighting at 170, and I said, oh, okay, I guess we'll just put him in against uh, Usman now, and we'll see who wins. Yeah. <laughs> Is Usman going to defend those takedowns? I don't know. Is he going to take down Chimaev? I don't know. Who's got better striking? Who the heck knows? Yeah. It'd be interesting. Yeah. But, you know, kidding aside, we can't rush that fight. Let's let's let the guy develop. He's only a few fights into his career, but I'm impressed. I'm going to be watching Kazmat Chimaev for sure. I hope he gets a, a fight right away again. I want to I want to watch him again. Same here. What about the judges here? Let, let's let's talk about some of the judges. Who's who was your top judge of the evening? My top judge of the evening was Mark Collette because of, you know, having the guts to put a 10 seven on your scorecard. Same thing. I said the so, same for the same reason. Yeah, I don't, I don't care Kudu- what you did the rest of the night. You put a 10-7 <laughs> down, and that's awesome. Well, I still care. Uh, but having said that, you know, you didn't. we didn't agree on every single fight for the night, but we mostly agreed, and I don't think there was anything egregious or anything like that where I was, I was like, what are you talking about there? Kudos to him for having the confidence to assign such a rare score. I, I hope to see... I don't want to see 10 sevens more often because that means a guy is getting beat to heck or a girl's getting beat to heck and it's just not stopping. But I would like to see it assessed when it's deserved. Yeah, for sure. And and was this deserved? I don't know. But it at was, least there's a little at least there's a little confidence to put it out there. I'm yep. okay with that. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention for me for Anders Olsen, who saw all six rounds the same as I did. Okay. I thought they all yeah. did pretty well. Oh, I did too. I actually, I don't think that there was uh, a judge that I would single out as like the quote unquote bottom judge or something like that. I think everybody through two events has actually been pretty good. I, they they took, you know, as we said the other day, they took a beating from some people on Saturday for UFC 251. But and I think that was undeserved. It was very undeserved. And I think because they had just so many, so many eyes on that event, just people that tune in two, three times a year have no idea how to score a fight. Yes, I think a lot of their opinion was, was was mixed in there. So that's a great point. We definitely had the casuals coming out. I I spoke to people who definitely didn't watch regularly coming out, and I'm sure some of them were uh, vocal on Twitter as well. But you know, we we heard from people who watch fights all the time the same thing too. So it was not entirely owed to that. But even though I wouldn't give a a, a dishonorable mention or anything like that to anybody, I I would say that the biggest disagreement that we had was the Elliot. 
Benoit fight that was just completely different from Leatherby, Colette, and Werner. They all agreed, so I think we just need to accept that there's something maybe you and I aren't understanding about the way they scored the fight or how the way a fight should be scored, you know? Totally possible. It's entirely possible. You have to allow for that possibility because it's not like they're sitting there conferring with their scores. They got them individually, all three of them. Yeah, but, yeah, like you said, I don't have a bottom judge or dishonorable mention, except I do have a bottom ref. Mm-hmm. Who would that be? Dan Movahedi. I really, really am not happy that there was stand-ups from dominant positions like side control. I, he, I he was totally definitely trigger happy it. with the stand-ups and the separations at the cage, you know, in clinch and stuff. I didn't like it either. Really? I, I mean, a guy gets someone down, moves to side control. 30 seconds later, you tell him, ah, stand up. You, you didn't do, you didn't do enough. I mean, you're in side control. I mean, that that's a fight-ending position. I just don't get it. I would like to get the sense of what a referee thinks of separations such as that and what the procedure is for things like that. So I I think that's something that I would love to get an answer for because from, to me, it just doesn't make any sense to do. Um, but maybe there's a reason that we don't know about. Maybe there isn't. Maybe 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 this guy's just doing something that maybe he shouldn't be doing. I don't know. But I didn't like it either. No. But we might as well get used to it because we're going to have these same refs, these same judges who, hey, I, I welcome all the judges. I think they've been doing great. I think a good ref is one who doesn't involve himself so much in a fight. I agree. To to an extent, I, I mean, definitely want you points taken when deserved. But when you but, have yeah. to, yes, they, I didn't think he had to in any situation. I agree. But that's all I had for the first of several Fight Island non pay per views. We've got another one coming on Saturday, Dan, with the main event, and this is another title fight: Davison Figueroa against Joseph Benavidez. And maybe someone will finally win the flyweight title this time, huh, Dan? I don't even think it's going to be a close contest. You don't think it's going to be a close fight? I think Figueroa is going to go out there and do what he did again. He was winning the fight. I mean, that headbutt thing, I really don't agree with. I mean, it yeah, wasn't. it's not it a headbutt. Let's, let's call it what it is. It was a clash of heads. I, I just don't see it changing things all that much. I think Figueroa was well on his way to a win. I would say it's entirely possible Figueroa was well on his way to a win with or without the clash of heads. But I'd also say it's a different night. And do I look at Figueredo and Benavidez and say Figueredo wins nine out of ten times? I sure as heck don't. Benavidez is too good and has been for too long. So I don't see why Benavidez couldn't come out and have a much better night. And Figueredo maybe doesn't have the same night, you know? I don't see it. That's fair. Hey, you know, I make no secret that I would like to see Benavidez finally score a major title. He's, for my money, one of the greatest fighters to not win one of those. Sentimentally, I'm rooting for Benavidez here, you know. I'm stubborn, whatever, whatever you want to say. I'm not going to hide from it here, but I'm going to pick Benavidez by decision. I'm going to go with it. I think he gets finished again. He sure might. We'll see. But uh, what about other fights you're looking forward to from this one? Uh, the next contender for the flyweight title, Alexander Pantoja versus Askar Askarov. Who apparently, if anyone doesn't make weight on Friday, Pantoja is going to step in if he makes weight. That's official? Well, that's what they had said the other day, yeah. Wow. Dana said that, okay. I believe. Interesting. Well, I mean, he kind of he's kind of in line anyway. Well, they're not going to not have somebody win the belt this weekend. They're going to do what they yeah, can to make sure you. somebody yeah. wins it. That, yeah, that's a smart thing. And then it'll go and be a five-round draw. Just, just watch. It'll be a draw. I don't see Benavidez being the one that misses weight if someone misses weight anyway. I don't think Figueredo's going to miss weight either. You know, from Actually, Waleed Ismail, his, his manager, responded to me on Twitter saying that his weight was just fine as of a week ago. 
everything that you're hearing, same thing. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it's not going to matter. But for me, the fight I'd like to see is the middleweight co-main event between Jack Hermanson and Kelvin Gastelum. That's a great middleweight matchup. Yeah, that's a fun fight. Who do you like in that one? I'm going to go with Gastelum. And I'm going with Hermanson. No, Gastelum just has been so good. I'm not not that he's um not that he actually won, but Phil, he's gonna have a nice bounce back here. This isn't why I'm picking against Gastelum, but I read something today. Someone pointed out that a lot of Gastelum's biggest wins, especially at middleweight, have been against guys who were at kind of the very end of their careers or almost at the very end. You know, he retired Bisping. I believe he was the last fighter to fight Tim Kennedy. You know, he fought Jacare, who arguably could have won that fight and Jacare is definitely not the same fighter he's been it's hard to say yeah Hermanson also beat Jacare he did but he looked a lot better doing it but that said that's that's you know we can't do fight you know fight yeah. math here MMA math doesn't work but I just think Hermanson's kind of a fighter who's heading in the right direction whereas Gastelum I don't know maybe the best has passed That's a wrap on another week of episodes from the Couchside Judges. We'll be back again Monday to dissect this weekend's bouts. Maybe we'll even have a flyweight champion to talk about this time, unlike the last time they tried this in February. Hey, it can't go wrong twice, right? Please make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to check us out. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Dan Urban MMA. Give me a follow too on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. Have a great weekend, fight fans, and stay healthy and safe. See ya.